Strongsville Christian Church, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Um, there was a MS he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to preach deliverance. To the Let no man deceive you by any means, for the day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. And welcome everyone to Strongsville Christian Church. Today's message is His strength is greater than our weakness. Amen. That's something that you need to remember. His strength is greater than our weakness. Uh, but before I get into that, I want to... Um, uh, tell everyone happy Valentine's Day. Um, I want to let you know that I'm aware that Valentine's Day uh, initially originated from a pagan holiday. And uh, in that pagan holiday, if you know the history, it's, it's a little bit weird. Um, the, pagan, uh, the pagans, they believed that if they uh, whipped the women on their backs, it would make them pregnant. And so that was something that they were doing. They were whipping... Uh, uh, the women's backs to make them pregnant and uh, thank God we've kind of advanced in our uh, understanding of uh, pregnancy amen let the let the women say hallelujah amen <laughs> amen we we know that we can whip you all you want amen but you ain't getting pregnant amen it just you know there's some uh, the, some biblical principles and some scientific principles and this is not happening amen um but but uh but even since then there is um a christian background uh mr valentine um he was he was a christian and mr valentine was during an era where there was a king who made a law saying that he prohibited marriage for those you raise your hand if you know the story if i'm boring you into a coma um the the king made a law at that time that uh, you could not marry. And he wasn't, Jew I don't know if it was the governor or the king, I think they said a king, but he wasn't just doing it just to, for no reason, just didn't want people to marry. He was doing it because at that time they were in war. And when they were in war, they wanted the men to go out to war and go fight for their country. So he prohibited the, uh, the, the marrying back then. And then uh, Mr. Valentine, he went behind, uh, as a Christian, he went behind the orders of the governor and he started uh, solemnizing marriages. And uh, because he did that, they threw his hiney in jail. And then when he went to jail, he had he developed a romantic relationship of his own. And he uh, got, got into a relationship with the jailer's daughter. And then the jailer's daughter came to visit him and that sort of thing. And uh, sometimes women like the bad boys, amen? Amen, I don't know if that's why my wife married me, I don't know, but uh, but uh, so so what happened is uh, he signed a letter saying, uh, your Valentine, right? And that's where, that's where the tradition came from. But if you have a wife, you know, love on your wife, you know, you shouldn't just get her chocolate and appreciate her uh, uh, once a year, amen, although some men, <laughs> that might be the best they could do once a year, but uh, it, it should be an uh, ongoing thing, amen, and there is no law, no biblical principle saying that you, if you're a woman, that you can't appreciate your husband and buy him some chocolate, amen, I like chocolate too, amen, let the men say hallelujah, amen, 
Uh, speaking of chocolate, uh, how many of you know the, the, the history of uh, uh, Milton uh, Hershey? Uh, how many ever thought about where this Hershey came from? You know a little bit? Okay, so, so it's a really interesting story, the way that the Hershey, uh, we all, raise your hand if you know Hershey's chocolate, amen? The thing, did you ever think about where did it come from? Who invented it? And so what happened is the Europeans, they were the ones that uh, created uh, chocolate, and the Europeans, they used uh, powdered milk to make the chocolate. Well, uh, Milton Hershey, um, from PA, he um, was a um, almost like an outcast. He uh, quit school in the fourth grade. He had a fourth grade education, and because he had a fourth grade education, his mom got him a job with a uh, candy maker, and he learned how to make uh, caramels. And then through that skill of learning how to make caramels, he ended up creating his own caramel factory. And then he ended up selling it for a million dollars. And this was way, million dollars is a lot of money now, but this was back then where a hundred dollars was a ton of money. And so he sold this uh, caramel factory for a million dollars and he ended up buying a land in, uh, I believe Hershey, PA, if I'm not mistaken, but he bought this huge uh, uh, area. I don't know how many acres it was, but it was almost like the city of Strongsville. Like he just bought this huge uh, a region. And the reason why he bought it was for his cows because he planned on uh, having the milk be a major ingredient and the chocolate. He, he Here's the thing. He spent that million dollars that he had on a land before he even had a recipe. People in America never even tried chocolate before. They didn't even know what chocolate was because it was a European thing. And they didn't have the internet back then. They didn't have Facebook back then. They didn't have the transportation that we have now. And so he tasted this chocolate and he said, this is the future. And so he buys this huge property. He literally buys a factory. He builds a factory before he even has the recipe. Doesn't even know how it's going to be made. He he hires all these scientists to try to create the chocolate. They failed. There was a scientist who had a, a Princeton degree and graduated from Cornell, and he fired him because he wasn't making the chocolate right. Then finally he found a coworker um, who, uh, that he worked with with the Carmel factory, and he hired him, and he was struggling to make the chocolate. It was never done before. See, he had to figure out how to separate the water from the, the milk. So that, because if you mix oil with water, it separates. And so it was never even done before. And he actually did something that was never done before. He hired one of the top salesmen to sell a product that didn't even exist. And the guy said, let me get this straight. You want me to sell chocolate that no one has ever had, doesn't know about. You built this factory, bought this property, and you want me to sell something that doesn't exist. Milton Hershey said, yeah, is that a problem? He was like, no problem, <laughs> shook his hand, and he was on board as a salesman. And then finally, see, look, think about that. 
You see, what they left, what they leave out in history is that Milton Hershey was a Christian. He was raised from a Mennonite family. They raised him up in the principles of God. And even in his weakness, even in his undereducation, even in his lack of scientific degrees, even in something that has never been done, there was no book, there was no guideline, he was able to step out in faith. Could you imagine buying a property with no recipe? Buying, building a building, putting your whole life at stake, and you don't even have a product. See, sometimes to advance in God, you have to step out in faith. You have to realize that his strength is greater than your weakness. And after he put all this stuff into position, the recipe came. And they ended up uh, spoiling or souring the milk. And the guy apologized. He said, we got to get that sour taste out of that Hershey chocolate. And Milton Hershey said, no, it's perfect. And so that's why Hershey's has a little bit of sourness, but it comes from that milk. And now they go through great lengths to try to preserve it, to have that unique flavor. And he became a multi-billionaire with a fourth grade education. See, a lot of times in this country, if you really look at the way things have been founded, the way things have started, it wasn't started with the mighty, with the strong, with the, with the rich, with the famous. It was started on men of God who were willing to take risks, who were willing to step out. Amen. And what can you do with your college degree if someone can do all that with a fourth grade education? See, you know, we're going to be talking about strength and weakness, but a lot of times weakness is not actually a reality. Weakness is a perception. Weakness is a state of mind. And see, this is the value of going to church is that we get out of the flesh, which the flesh is weak, but the spirit is strong. The Bible says we have to get out of our flesh, out of our, our own thoughts and get into the mind of Christ. Because the mind of Christ, the Bible says with the faith, the grain of a mustard seed, you can move a mountain. I want to talk to you today about his strength is greater than our weakness. Our greatest weakness will never slow down God from using us. Amen. I want you to think about that for a moment. Our greatest weakness, whatever it is that, you, a lot of times we have things that we think holds us back from accomplishing things. And a lot of times it's easy to go into the victim mentality mode that, and we start comparing ourselves among ourselves, measuring ourselves by ourselves. And we say, well, if I had it this way, I would be able to do this. If I had this, I can accomplish this. But here's the thing, that's not how God operates. God doesn't need your wealth. God doesn't need your money. He doesn't need your riches. He doesn't need your talent. He doesn't need your skills, even your intelligence. I'm not here to demonize those things or say that they're evil, but God is God all by himself. And when you begin to embrace that, God can take you to places that you would never go on your own. And I've seen a lot of folks that were successful in business, but because they, they never gave their weakness over to his strength, 
Even though they had the wealth, they had the money, they had the riches, they had the success, even the fame, but because they never gave their weakness over to his strength, they became depressed. They became suicidal. They take their own lives. You see it even in history. If you, if you read about history, you can see a lot of people took their own life. How many have ever heard of the uh, Post cereal? The cereal from Post. The, the, the founder of that Post cereal, he created grape nuts. Anyone like grape nuts? It's kind of like an older school cereal. I still like it, you know, but it uh, needs a lot of sugar. But that founder of that, how many know that he killed himself? He killed himself. And he didn't kill himself when he was struggling. You see that? He did not kill himself when he was struggling. He killed himself at the highlight of his success. Because he had weakness right here. You understand that? He was gifted in a lot of other areas. See, your, your strengths does not compensate for his strength. Amen. Our greatest weakness will never slow down God from using us. I'm a perfect example of this. Let's get into the word. 1 Corinthians 1.25, the Bible says, Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For ye see your calling brethren, how not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. Folks, I'm a pastor. I should take offense to that scripture. What are you saying, God? Are you trying to say you chose me because I'm not wise? I could be offended right there. Are you trying to say you chose me because I'm not noble? I could be super offended at that. I'm not mighty. You see, God doesn't need our strength. Amen. What he wants is our heart. It says, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Now, I'm a perfect example of that. Amen. I am the foolish things of the world, and God will use me to confound the wise. Why? Because I recognize my weakness. I don't have to deny it. You know, just recently, um, we have like 24 positive reviews on our Facebook Christ, uh, Strongsville Christian Church uh, website. We have like 24 some positive reviews. It's going up now. And right, and after all that, they I, I watched the rating of Facebook. We were at a, a 4.8, right? Someone left another positive review. We went from 4.8 to 4.7. Someone left another positive review. We went from 4.7 down to 4.0. The lower you go, the less people recommend the church. Understand what I'm saying? Then we went from a 4.0 down to a, a, a 0.1, which is the lowest rating that you can get from a church. The more people rated us with positive reviews, the lower our rating went down. You see, that's not a glitch. See, when you preach the gospel, when, see, we're Christian conservatives. We stand for the truth of the word of God. We're not going with the, what the world is doing. The world says it's okay for homosexuals to get married, for to kill abortions, nine months pregnant, to kill people, to not know what gender, what bathroom we're supposed to use. That's what the world says. And because I'm not for that garbage, because I will not compromise my, 
walk with God. I will not compromise or sugarcoat the word of God. Facebook deemed me as an enemy. And so they lowered it down to one. So you would think, well, I should be ashamed and embarrassed. You know what I did? The Bible says, Romans 8, 28, all things work together for the good to them that love the word. So instead of me hiding our low rating, I started embracing. I started bragging about our low. Look, we're at one. We're probably the only church in the United States of America that is rated that low a number one. And I showed proof of all the people with the positive reviews. And I posted that on Facebook. And from doing that, I got people sharing our church and liking it and saying they're going to come. You see, it's not about our strength. It's about his strength. And even when the devil tries to make you a fool, a lot of time it is our pride to try to prove ourselves or try to make things happen. Folks, we don't have that power. God does. You see, because if you promote yourself, it is your burden to sustain yourself. If God promotes you, it is his burden to sustain you, and he can sustain you like no one else. The weaker we are, the more glory he gets from our life. Now, do not misinterpret my point here. I'm not saying the more sinful you are. I'm not saying the more crack you smoke. I'm not saying the drunker you get, the more murders you commit, uh, the more banks you rob, the more glory. I'm not saying that. Although, Apostle Paul did say, I am the chief of all sinners. He did say that. But he was not bragging in his sin. He was bragging in the grace that God gave him to forgive him for his sin. He was bragging in the ability of his weak state, in his fallen state, how God was able to take him in his weakness and through God's strength was able to still use him. The weaker we are, the more glory he gets from our life. See, a lot of times we feel like if I'm weak, oh, God can't use me. It's the opposite. The weaker you are, the more glory he's going to get out of you. Because the stronger you are, the smarter you are, the richer you are, the more you're going to say, oh, it was me. Oh, this church would be nothing if it wasn't for me. They should be grateful I come here. You see, God wants a humble heart, folks. Uh, 1 Corinthians 1.20, it says, And the base things of the world, base means the low things, the base things of the world and the things which are despised have God chosen. Yeah, the things which are not to bring to naught, things that are. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised. You see that? The things that are glorifying to God, the world despises it. Do you understand the principle of Christianity? The reason why Jesus uh, got to the cross was not only to display a forgiveness of our sins and for atonement, that was the main reason, but it was also to show that the world did not want God. They despised Jesus. They hated his humility. They hated his power. They hated his love. They hated everything about him. And he was stealing their thunder. They despised him. And here's the thing. If we are following in the way of Christ, they'll despise us too. It says, God hath chosen, yeah, the things which are not, to brought not things that are, that no flesh 
should glory in his presence. But of him are ye in Christ, Jesus, who God has made us unto wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. So my testimony is about the glory of God, how God was able to take me from the uttermost position to a place of being suicidal, a place of hopelessness, a place of extreme poverty. He was able to take me out of that pit, not through my strength, but through his strength. And my weakness and my uh, situation, my downfall, was not too hard for God. Sometimes we feel like we're beyond reach of the Lord. Our situation is too great that God can't step in. There is no such thing. God uses insignificant resources to cause significant changes. Amen? I'm gonna, the prosperity preachers will hate me on this one. Amen? I'm not a prosperity preacher and I'm not a poverty preacher. I'm a gospel preacher. God uses insignificant resources to cause significant changes. Amen. That means whatever your resources is right now, I don't care if you are a janitor at Burger King or the CEO of Burger King, whatever your resources is, God is able to use that to cause significant changes, but he can't do that until you recognize that he has the strength. He has the strength to take what you have and cause significant changes. The question is this is, do you want that? Do you want God to cause significant changes? You see, when we get out of ourselves, see, a lot of times we have this mindset that life is all about me and I got to build myself up and, and love, love uh, starts home, charity starts at home. How many have heard these things? And, and I want to tell you, baloney. And I like baloney, especially if you fry it and put some mayo on it and toast the bread, it's good. Throw some lettuce on it, tomato if you will. But what I've found out through the word of God and through experience is that when we get out of ourselves and we start thinking, how is it that I can be an impact to other people? How is it that I can be a blessing to my brother? How is it that I can be a blessing at work? Some of you have jobs that you hate going to work. Well, it's, it's not so much the job, it's the state of mind. You have to see that job not as a, uh, a fun way for God to uh, torture you because some folks see their job in that fashion. Well, this is a good way for God to uh, uh, release his anger and judgment on me and deal with this uh, horrible boss and these nasty customers. How many of you know I still have a regular job? I'm, not a, I'm a full-time pastor, but I got a full-time job too. And uh, how many of you know I get cussed out? Amen. Yes. Pastor Joseph from the Strongsville Christian Church, my customers don't care nothing about that. And they don't care anything about it. They will cuss me. Amen. And I'm going to have to deal with them each situation differently. Amen. But, but here's the thing. You have to realize that you're on that job not just to make money. God has put us as a body of Christ strategically to be the light in a dark place. We are called the salt of the earth. See, salt 
has the ability to stop people from slipping. That's why they throw it out there in the sidewalk. Folks, I know we might not have thrown all the salt out here. Don't judge, cast stones, amen. But the salt is supposed to be for grip so people don't slip, amen. When you are in Christ and you are into his strength, you will be the, the, the cause why folks don't slip. When they come to confide in you, is that right? No, I'm sorry, that's not right. Love you, but no, that's not right. Is it okay if I go and cheat on my wife? No, it's not okay. What about if I cheat on my husband? No, no, no. You see, you should be the salt why other folks don't slip. Amen? God uses insignificant resources to cause significant changes. In Exodus 4.1, we see a uh, casing example of this situation. And I'm going to tell you what, a lot of times when God calls us to an assignment, you might not be called to be a pastor. You might be. You might not be called to be a deacon. You might be. You might not be called to be a preacher or a teacher, whatever it is. But you might be. Whatever it is, a lot of times when God calls us, we often feel that we're unworthy. Because we know we. We know us. We know what we've done. We know where we've come from. We know our weaknesses. And a lot of times we allow that to block what God is trying to do through us. In Exodus 4.1, it says, And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. Amen. Deacon Frederick and Sister Reba, since it's Valentine's Day, you guys can sit together. Amen. Come on up, Sister Reba. I don't want to call you guys out in the middle of live uh, Facebook, and but I kind of feel bad. Amen. Amen. Sorry, Sister Ron. I'm preaching for the moment. Amen. They look, look how cute they are. Amen. Matching shirts and everything. Didn't mean to embarrass you guys, but it is, you know, it's, a, it's supposed to be a romantic day. Uh, and the Lord said unto him, what is in the hand, in thy hand? You see that? God didn't say, go out and find something, go out and discover something. God asked Moses, what's already in your hand? You see that? God is so powerful that he doesn't need you to go out and get something. He will work with what you already got. In that story of Milton Hershey, the scientists, these, these uh, genius chemists, they kept saying, well, the Europeans use uh, powdered milk. And, and Hershey kept saying, I'm not, I'm not European, and I'm not using powdered milk. That's why I bought this whole acreage to have the cows. I'm going to use what I got. You see, the, look at this, folks. The devil will try to get you to, to look for something that you don't got. God will get you to look at what you already have and start applying what's already in your hand. See, look, he, what, he's God. If he could not use what's in your hand, then he's not God. You understand that? His strength is greater than your weakness. You, you look at the multitude that was starving. They were so hungry. They were following Jesus, and he was long-winded, probably longer than me. Jesus could preach until they're like, man, when is this service over? They got so hungry, and they were, they were complaining that they were hungry, and, and they only had two fish and five loaves. You see, God didn't say, go, leave me. 
go out to the ocean, come fishing, come back 10 hours from now when you've got enough to feed a thousand people and come back. No, he took the two fish, the five loaves, what was already in their hand, he blessed it, multiplied it, and fed the multitude. You see, God is still the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He does not change. The same God that changed the two fish and five loaves to feed the multitude is the same God that's able to take what's in your hand and use it to cause significant changes. And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice. See, Moses was all kind of trying to get out of being used. And here's the thing. It's not like he just didn't want to go and be used by God for no reason. He felt like God was sending him on a suicide mission. He felt like God was sending him, sending him on a dummy mission. He already killed someone in Egypt. He already is uh, wanted and the, the Pharaoh wanted to, to, to kill him for killing another Egyptian. So he didn't want to go back there. I'm sure, look, God kept proving himself to him over and over and over, and he still didn't want to do what God told him to do. He still kept trying to get excuses from it because he didn't yet. He, he had faith, but he didn't have faith that God was able to keep him. He didn't have faith that God was able to take his limited resources and cause significant changes. See, he didn't yet know God like that, but he was getting ready to find out. He said, they will not believe me. They won't hearken unto my voice. They will say, the Lord hath not appeared unto me. And the Lord has said unto him, what is in thine hand? And he said, a rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before him. Amen. Now you got all these churches trying to do these uh, snake, uh, snake things. They grab poisonous snakes to try to prove that they're of God. I ain't grabbing no snake. I'm not grabbing. Let me, let me just tone it down a little bit. I don't even want to grab a cockroach. I don't want to grab a bed bug. Not only am I not grabbing a snake, I'm not grabbing a spider. In fact, when we were doing the work in here, me and Dick and Frederick saw this big old spider. Amen. I didn't want to grab. I left it there. I figured I'd eat the rest of the bugs. Amen. And then good old Deacon Frederick ran it over with the scaffold, and I heard this crunch. And I was <laughs> Amen. How does that get worked in the sermon? Oh, wait. Oh, yeah, there, because Moses fled from it. And God doesn't need our help to prove him or that he called us. Folks, this is huge. You might not appreciate it. This is huge. God doesn't need our help to prove him. Boom, I just saved you 50 years of arguments. Amen. Elder Glenn, take up another offering. Amen. <laughs> Look, I just saved you years of wasting your time. Time is money. You see that? Look at this. God doesn't need our help to prove him. There, there was never any one person that, I used to be an atheist, folks. I used to be an atheist. I used to make fun of Christians. And there was never one person that sat down and won an argument with me. And they out-argued me. And I was like, oh, well, since you beat me in an argument, no, God's real. I'm going to just change and stop doing drugs and live a life of holiness and, you know, go to church. That never happened. In fact, you know what would have happened? If I'm truthful, if someone would have beat me in an argument, I would have probably tried to beat them up. I would have got mad. I would have cussed them out. You see, you can't prove God to other people. 
the only thing you can do is you can pray for them. You can point them to the word of God and tell them to repent of their sins and, and have faith in Jesus. You can plant seeds. You see, the Bible says one planteth, one soweth, another watereth, but God adds the increase. See, the increase is God will prove himself to those that he wants to in the proper time. But God doesn't force himself on anyone. So as Christians, we don't have to do that either. We can plant seeds. I'm not saying don't minister. I'm not saying don't pray for people. I'm just saying don't overexert yourself trying to depend on your own strength to do what only God can do. Amen? God doesn't need our help to prove him or that he called us. Folks, if you're a Christian, if you have the Holy Spirit, you don't have to run around bragging and telling everyone, oh, I'm anointed, I, 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 I'm so holy. I, you don't have to do all that. They'll know it already just by watching you. They'll, they'll know you by the love that you have for your brethren. They'll know by the fruit that you bear. And if they don't see it, then, then you've got to go before the Lord. Amen. But even so, our goal is not to prove our calling to other people. There's going to be some folks that even if you, look at this, folks. There's going to be some people that even if you hear from God in a fiery bush and God assigns you to, to them and you take a staff and throw it on the ground and it turns into a snake, even then they still will not believe that God called you just like they did to Moses. And I haven't seen anyone yet to throw a staff and turn into a snake, and how much more are they not going to believe you? He had the signs and wonders, and they still didn't believe. The magicians, and the, 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 they, they said, oh, we could do that too. But, but you could see there was a cap on their power that it only got to a certain point, whereas in God's power kept excelling. Amen. Exodus 4, 4, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thine hand, and take it by the tail, because Moses ran from it. <laughs> and he put forth his hand, and caught it, and became a rod in his hand, and that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, hath appeared unto thee. Now you would think that that's enough to believe that Moses' strength is not going to, his weakness is not going to stop God. You would think he'd be like, okay, I've seen enough, God. You convinced me, let's go. He wanted more. God wants us to depend on his strength, not ours. Amen. This is crucial to having a real relationship with God. It is not about our strength. It is about his strength. Because what you'll find out is your strength is genuinely limited. Even in the natural, you could only lift so much uh, weight. It doesn't matter if you're Arnold Schwarzenegger or Ronnie Coleman. You eventually get to the point where your strength peaks out. And that, that, that you're not strong enough to go to a certain level. God has no cap on his strength. And he wants us to not be capped off in what we can do. He wants us to depend on him. In Exodus 4, 6, it says, The Lord said furthermore unto him, Put now thine hand into thy bosom. And he put his hand into his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous as snow. 
And he said, put thy hand into thy bosom again. And he put his hand into the bosom again and plucked it out and out of his bosom. And behold, it turned again as his other flesh. Now, if you don't understand what I just said, King James, he had a normal hand. God said, go ahead and put your hand in your pocket. He put his hand in his pocket. He said, take it out. He took it out. His hand turned into a leper's hand, which was a highly contagious disease back then. You see that? I'm here to tell you, God has all power over any COVID, over any sickness, over any disease, over anything. Amen? No, Pastor Joseph told me to go lick garbage cans. No, I didn't say that. I'm simply saying what the Word says. I'm seeing it right here. I apply it. Amen? He had the power over the sickness. But Moses wasn't trying to test God to see if he had power over it. Moses didn't want no part of any of this. And God said, that's the one I want. The one who wants no part of any of this. The one who doesn't want to do what I want him to do. The one who doesn't believe. The one who has a speech impediment. The one who's uh, guilty of murder. The one who feels not qualified, not worthy. The one who knows he's weak. That's the one that I want. I'm going to show him that my strength is greater than his weakness. Boom. Leper, unleper. In Exodus 4, 8, and it shall come to pass, if they will not believe thee, neither hearken to the voice of the first sign, that, that they will believe the voice of the latter sign. And it shall come to pass, if they do not believe all these two signs, neither hearken unto thy voice, that thou shalt take out the water of the river and pour it in dry land, and the water shall be taken of the river and shall become blood upon the dry land. See, God knew that they weren't going to listen to him. Isn't that something? He knew that they weren't going to listen to him because if he knew that they would listen to him, he would stop after the first sign. It wasn't like God was wondering what they were going to do. God knew they wouldn't listen to him. So he was going to keep showing the signs. You see, God sometimes will have us speak to people that he knows won't listen to us. But that's not it. There is something that he's planning behind that. You see, God was going to use Moses to deliver the slaves, to deliver people that were in bondage. It wasn't about them believing the signs. It wasn't even about them knowing that Moses sent, was sent. It was about God showing his mercy and grace to free people. You see, and God has the same desire to us. There are people out now that are strung out on drugs, alcohol, cigarettes, uh, 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 crack cocaine, uh, cocaine. And folks, it's in Strong's. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. It was just recently someone, uh, I don't know if it was Road Rage or whatever, right on Pearl Road or somewhere over here in Strongsville, took out a gun and shot someone in Strongsville. Why? Because riches, wealth, even a nice neighborhood. You think the devil's like, well, you know, ah, my hometown is Cleveland. Y'all from the west side. I'm, you know, and then the devil comes up to Strongsville. Well, you know, I was going to mess with you guys, but... You know, you have a good mayor, and you guys, you know, you guys are nice people, nice house. Let's just leave them alone. Focusing on our weakness gives us excuses. Focusing on his strength gives us solution. You see that? 
Every single one of us here, you have the ability to choose your focus. Are you going to focus on your weakness to embrace excuses why not to do A through Z? Or are you going to focus on his strength, which gives us the solution? Exodus 4.10, it says, And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither hereto, nor since thou hast spoken unto to thy servant, but I am slow of speech. I am a slow tongue. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Who has maketh the dumb, or the deaf, or the seeing, or the blind? Have not I the Lord and now, therefore, go, and I will be thy mouth and teach thee what thou dost say. And, and he said, O oh my Lord, send, I pray thee, at the hand whom thou wilt send. In other words, God was saying, I created your mouth. I created your tongue. I'm the one who creates the deaf and the dumb. It's me. I'm the Lord. My strength is greater than your weakness. And even after all that, he is talking to God. And Moses still said, I hear you. Send someone else. Do you see that the more you don't want to be used by God, the more he's going to want to use you? I don't know why it is that way, but it's often that way. I know people who've spent their whole life in theology school, and they have all these theology degrees, and they're so proud to rub it in my face and remind me of all of them. And they're not pastor in no church. They want so bad to be a pastor. And they can't pastor a church. They can't. You see, sometimes God is looking for the one who feels unworthy. I don't know if you could see that. Because a lot of times when the one who feels so entitled, so important, so special, so powerful, uh, feels entitled to be the one who's being used, God said, no, you're too proud. You won't do what I want you to do. God requires our obedience, not our perfection. You see that? A lot of times folks will say, well, I would go to church, but, you know, I, I'm still working on some stuff. I'm the pastor of the church, and I'm still working on some stuff. You don't believe me? Ask my wife. She will tell you. I will also have to be honest with you. God has brought me a long way from where I started. And I believe that he is going to eternally be working on me. You ever seen a finicky artist? You ever watch someone do pottery? I used to do pottery. Do we have any of my horrible pottery around here? Oh, praise God, we got rid of it. We used to have this, this vase that I made. But the thing is, that when, when you're an artist, you're just, constant, you just, you're just constantly playing with it. You see, and you're, you're, there's little flaws and stuff that you're, you're, you're removing. And then sometimes an artist that becomes too good, they, they lose that, that genuineness, that, uh, that organic, just the, 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 the natural hand craftsmanship. They lose that and they become too perfect 
that their products start looking like it came from Walmart and then it becomes less appealing. It looks less handcrafted. So then they, they go back to how they started and they put imperfections in it so that it looks handcrafted. You see, even with your imperfections, there is a organicness about it that God loves. You understand? Even with your weakness, there is God is crazy about you. He loves you. We're talking about Valentine's Day. There is no love outside of God. God is love. Amen? God requires our obedience, not our perfection. And in Exodus 4.14, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. And he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee. And when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. And thou shalt speak unto him and put the words in his mouth. And he will be thy mouth and with his mouth and will teach you what you shall do. And he shall be thy spokesman unto the people. And he shall be, even he shall be instead of a mouth. And thou shalt be to him instead of God. God is saying, look, all these excuses that you're trying to come up with, I will replace your mouth with Aaron's mouth, and I will replace my presence of you for Aaron. In other words, Aaron will come to you as hearing from God. Satan is not threatened by our strength outside of Christ. Let me say that. Outside of Christ, God is not threatened by your strength. He's simply not, he's not even impressed. But in Christ, he is horrified. Acts 9, 13, it says, then a certain vagabond, vagabond means like a homeless person that has no uh, routine, has nowhere really that he belongs to. Uh, The certain of the vagabond Jews, exorcists, took it upon them. You see that? They weren't sent by God. They weren't called by God. They weren't obeying God. They tried to do their own thing on their own strength and didn't realize that on their own strength they were actually weak, but didn't know they were weak until they got defeated. See, sometimes God will let you, when you think that you're strong, he'll let you get defeated so you realize you're really weak and you need to depend on his strength and not your own. And it says, they took it upon them to call over them which had evil spirits. And the name of the Lord Jesus saying, we adjure you by Jesus, whom Paul preached, uh, that there were seven sons of Sceva. That sounds like a disease. disease. Sceva? Uh, He's got Sceva. Stay away. There were seven sons of Sceva, a Jew, and the chief of the priests, which did so. And the evil spirits answered and said, Jesus, I know. Paul, I know. But who are you? And the men in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them and overcame them, prevailed against them, so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Amen. Basically, they got whooped by demons through a person. And God's strength, God's strength uh, can be misinterpreted for weakness for those who don't see his plan. I, I want to say that again. God's strength can be misinterpreted for weakness when they don't see God's plan. See, a lot of times when people see you and you're forgiving, you're loving, you're kind, you're sensitive, people will see your kindness and they will mistake it for weakness. 
They will interpret your kindness for weakness. Why? Because they don't know God's plan. See, when you don't know what God's up to, it can look like you're getting knocked down. It can look like you're being attacked. It can look like you're being overcame. But if they don't know God has a plan for everything that he's happening and is allowed happening in your life, they will miss it. You see, even the thief on the cross didn't understand that Jesus went to the cross for a reason. It, even his disciples, when Jesus got arrested and Jesus got apprehended, his disciples left him because they saw it as weakness. They saw Jesus as a failure because he got arrested and he allowed his strength to be appeared as weakness and the people who didn't know God's plan mistaken God's strength for weakness because they didn't know what he was up to. He laid down his own life. No one took his life. He gave his life as a sacrifice for us. He didn't know the strength of God. God's strength can be misinterpreted for weakness for those who don't see his plan. You know, just yesterday, uh, someone said, uh, real nasty, left a comment and said, oh, oh just go ahead and hide, hide, hide behind your pulpit. That's what he told me. He said, go ahead and hide behind your pulpit. And I was thinking of a million things that I could have said to retaliate. I had all kinds of stuff. I felt in my heart I could have squashed him like a bug. Not a bed bug, but a nice bug. Maybe a ladybug. And the Lord said, no, don't do that. I was like, I could, he said, hide behind your pulpit. I was like, man, I did prison ministry in prisons for 15 years. Let me see you do that for an hour. And you're telling me, hide behind my pulpit. And I felt my flesh and my pride raise up, and I wanted to give it to him. I had a, I, all kinds of scriptures were flowing through my mind. <laughs> and God said, no, show him, show him your weakness. And you know what I said to him? He said, hide behind your pulpit. I said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. That was it. <laughs> that was it. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's all I said. Yes, sir. <laughs> Defeated him with that. End of conversation. End of argument. End of being time vampired. End of all that with two words, yes, sir. Why do we always, as Christians, I know you guys are loving and awesome and all that. Why do we feel like we got to have the last word sometimes? <laughs> God's strength can be misinterpreted for weakness for those who don't see his plan. I realized at that point that guy who was telling me I was hiding behind the pulpit, I recognize he was not my mission. You understand that? Sometimes people will try to get you out of your mission. They'll get you caught up. You understand that? Oh, the devil knows what bait to use to hook you. Anyone ever go fishing? And you feel that little nibble on that worm? And you got to set the hook? Get that hook way up in the lip so it can't get out. Devil knows how to set the bait, set the hook. He knows how to, he knows the right timing. I got him now. Boom. And then you go in there for a little bit of, a little bit of argument. 
Before you know it, he's got you plastered on the news. You know. <laughs> Oh, I hear some yes sirs coming. Oh, I'm not a prophet, but I could see it. And Luke 23, 39. I forgot my point, folks. What was my point? Uh, God's strength can be misinterpreted for weakness to those who don't see the plan. Uh, Luke 23, 39 says, And one of the malefactors, which simply means criminals, uh, which were hung, hanged, railed on him. Railed on him. You know what it means to be railed on. And they were making fun of him. You know, and... And I can understand why they were making fun of Jesus. Look, he's supposed to be the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. And I'm going to tell you what, he was up on this cross with blood dripping out of him. He got punched. He's supposed to be so powerful. He's supposed to be God. And he's got this crown of thorns smashed on his head. They spat in his face. They punched him. They pierced him on the side. He was dripping. He looked like the epitome of weakness. And they didn't understand that even then it could be, it could look in the natural to be so clear that you are defeated. It can look like you are the most weakest, shameful person of all. On the cross, nailed, laughing, mocking, thirsty, and they gave him vinegar. But even then, God has a plan. His weakness can be misinterpreted, folks. And one of the malefactors which hung and railed on him, saying, If thou be the Christ, save thyself and us. Uh, but the other answered and rebuked him, saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive due rewards of our deeds. But this man have done nothing amiss. In other words, we're up here because we're criminals. He didn't do anything wrong. Are you, you're missing everything. He, he, all he could see is the weakness of God. He didn't see the strength of God. And sometimes we might not be hanging up on a cross next to Jesus, but sometimes we might feel like we're up on a cross. And we might feel like because we're on the cross that God is weak and we're weak. But God has a plan. He has a plan no matter what it looks like. That's why the Bible says we walk by faith and not by sight. In 1 Kings 19, 11, it said, And he said, Go forth and stand upon the mount before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by a great strong wind, rent the mountains, and break into pieces and the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. Sometimes God's strength is not in all these things that are so magnif magnificent. Sometimes his strength is in the still, small voice. God hides his strength from the proud. And reveals it to the humble. And I'm almost done, folks. Just if you could uh, hang in there with me a little bit longer. But if you have to go, you're free to go. God hides his strength from the proud and reveals it to the humble. Matthew 11:25 it says, At that time Jesus answered and said, I thank thee, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because thou hast hid 
these things. You see that? He hid these things from the wise and the prudent. Do you see that? He has hid these things from the wise and the prudent. Do you see that? He has hid these things from the wise and the prudent. There is a know-it-all spirit. There are folks that are proud and they feel like they know everything. And it is that spirit that is blind from seeing what's happening in the world. It is that know-it-all spirit that's missing the truth of what's really happening because it is in their pride that they miss God. God actually hides it from them. He won't even let them see it. And you can pour your guts out and share all types of proof and evidence and share until your throat is bleeding and they still won't be able to see it because God hid it from them because of their pride. Because thou, this is Jesus speaking, because thou has hid these things from the wise and the prudent and has revealed it unto the babes. And for 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it says, And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Sometimes you don't see the power of Christ because you're too busy hiding your infirmities. You're too busy hiding your weakness. You're too busy covering up your weakness. You're ashamed of your weakness. You're hiding it. You're, you feel like because you're weak that, that you're beyond help. And look at what it says. He says, most gladly, therefore, I will glory in my infirmities. You see, every time someone attacks me, and, and, and my, don't, don't, don't misunderstand it. When someone attacks me, I feel embarrassed. I feel hurt. I feel ashamed just like anyone else. But I've learned to not walk by my feelings, but go by faith. And, and, and instead of trying to cover up, I actually brag. Every time someone attacks me, I embrace it. Come on, keep attacking me. Because I know that I'm a child of God and God will take what's meant for evil and turn it around for good. I know that his strength is greater than my weakness. He says that the power of Christ may rest upon me. But when we are in his love, and this is my last point, folks, last one. When we are in his love, his strength is in us. You understand that there is no strength of God outside of his love. There is no power of God outside of his love. There is no forgiveness of God outside of his love. There's no peace. There's no joy. There's no purpose outside of his love. We have to be in his love to understand anything. And even then, sometimes we still don't want, his love goes beyond our understanding. His grace and mercy goes beyond our understanding. But it doesn't go beyond our faith. When we are in His love, His strength is in us. The Bible says in Romans 8, 37, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, 
nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor other creature shall separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Strongsville Christian Church, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He hath anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Um, there was a MS he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted and to preach deliverance. To the Let no man deceive you of sight by any means, for the day shall not come, except there come a falling away first. Strong's be a Christian church.